Hello there, Pigskins fans, and welcome to the Week 13 edition of the Stat Pack. I'm your host, Adam Dobrovolsky, as well the Thanksgiving week in the books, an exciting Week 12 with a lot of things to talk about. Also, some exciting stuff to come up for this weekend, so we have plenty to go over in this edition. And of course, like usual, we'll start things off with a six-pack of headlines and statements to make. Also, a half of a six-pack of statistical regression from Week 12. We already got half of that in the previous edition due to the Thanksgiving games. Also, we'll take a look, as usual, at our top six. And, of course, a six-pack of things to look forward to in this upcoming week. Let's start things off with the first headline of our six-pack of headlines and statements. And I'll begin things off with the 2011 draft class. And how about this? Already, through two seasons, we are seeing the makings of the greatest draft class when it comes to the front seven in NFL history. Think about these three players who came in the first round of last year's draft. First things first, you have Alden Smith, and Smith doing a great job with the San Francisco 49ers. 16 and a half sacks already this season. He's within shouting distance of the single season sack record. He would need just six and a half to break Michael Strahan's single season sack record. Meanwhile, for Alden, he has 30 and a half sacks already for his career. That puts him just a half sack short of the NFL record for most sacks in a player's first two seasons in the league. That record setter was Reggie White, who had 31 sacks in his first two seasons. Now, given the sack has only been an individual stat since 1982. But this is showing you exactly how much Alden Smith has been a sack master early on in his career. He had one and a half sacks in Sunday's victory over the New Orleans Saints, 31-21. to And he's been used exclusively in these sack packages by a very good front seven for the San Francisco 49ers. When you think about what Justin Smith can do, and of course what the two inside linebackers can do, and Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman, you look at a very good and diverse defense that is pretty much dominating throughout all the statistical factors. San Francisco 49ers this season tops in bendability, tops in defensive real passing yards per attempt, and a very solid team throughout, but that front seven doing a big job for the defense, and you have to credit Alden Smith. He's done a great job as a pass rusher. Meanwhile, you look at J.J. Watt in his second season. 14 and a half sacks this season, which brings him up to 20 sacks for his first two careers. And already this season, 13 passes defensed in 11 games. He could somehow reach 20 passes defensed and do that as a defensive end in Wade Phillips' 3-4 scheme. That is unfathomable. Watt only had four passes defense last year, but even as a defensive lineman, four is pretty good. But 13 in 11 games and 14 and a half sacks as well. He had three in the Thanksgiving victory over the Detroit Lions, 34-31 in overtime. What a fantastic player this guy is, and he's the leading candidate for defensive player of the year. Arguably right behind him was a second overall pick in the 2011 draft, Von Miller. 14 sacks, 25 and a half sacks through his first two years. 
That would put him sixth all-time for most sacks in a player's first two seasons. He's behind, as mentioned, Reggie White and Alden Smith, but also add in Derek Thomas, Sean Merriman, and Javon Kurse. Von Smith also, or excuse me, Von Miller also had a sack this past week. He had one sack against the Kansas City Chiefs in a 17-9 victory. Now, I do want to mention those three players I mentioned in order are your top three sack getters this season in that order. So looking at what these guys are doing, already dominant pass rushers, elite players at their position, elite players at what they do, and this all coming from the first round of the 2011 draft class. I think right now, if we put all the draft classes and compare them to each other, I think the 2011 class would put together the best front seven. Second up on our six-pack of headlines and statements, it's looking at the NFC in the sixth seed being wide open. But I say this, although it's wide open and it could be six teams who are 6-6 six and six when it's all said and done after week 13, I do think there will be one team that will emerge as a leader this week. Let's do a little bit of a recap of what's to come in week 13. You have the Seattle Seahawks, fresh off a 24-21 last-second loss in Miami. The Seahawks, 6-5 on the season, are now 1-5 on the road. And Sunday, they travel to Chicago to face the Bears. Obviously, that would be a great defensive matchup. But the Seahawks, if they've had all but one of the road games result in a loss, and they're playing in an early game against Chicago, doesn't look good for them, especially with what could be down the line, not Sunday, but down the line suspensions of Brandon Browner as well as Richard Sherman. Now, I'll be honest on this. I am quite perplexed at how many people have been suspended so far this year alone for Adderall use. And you have to wonder exactly what the league will do to alleviate this problem, or at least if they can give some sort of findings and scientific uh, exploration or, or research into the effect of Adderall on substance abuse. What the fans know about this? Because I think right now th this is an underrated story. You look at Aqib Talib had this issue. Several other players, I believe two Giants in, in the preseason had this issue. In baseball, Carlos Ruiz, the all-star catcher for the Philadelphia Phillies, just got caught with Adderall use. This is becoming a major problem, and this needs to be exposed so more people can learn about this, and the players, when the fans learn about it, can adjust accordingly and not get suspended and cost their team a chance to move forward into the playoffs. Seattle might be at that risk. But at least for Sunday, they will have Browner. They will have Sherman for that game against the Chicago Bears. But that certainly will be a tough one as they're 1-5 on the road. Meanwhile, you have the Minnesota Vikings who are going at the Green Bay Packers. The Vikings were fresh off a loss in Chicago to the Bears 28-10 last Sunday, dropping them to 1-4 on the road. Can the Minnesota Vikings, who are now in the bottom half of offensive pass rating due to a declining Christian Ponder after the first four games of the season, can they get the job done in Green Bay against Aaron Rodgers, who's an elite quarterback 
a team for the Packers that is in the top four in pretty much every offensive category in the quality stats power rankings? Well, I don't know. Meanwhile, you have the 6-5 and five Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to Denver to face the Broncos, who's now number one in the quality stats power rankings. The Buccaneers, fresh off a home loss to the Falcons, 24-23. So you had Seattle, Minnesota, and Tampa Bay all lose at 6-4. and four. They're all on the road against playoff teams, or future playoff teams, I should say, and they have a chance to go 6-6. Six and six. As for the three five and six teams, you have the New Orleans Saints playing the Thursday night game in Atlanta after losing at home 31 to 21 against the San Francisco 49ers. You have the Dallas Cowboys hosting the Philadelphia Eagles. The Saints and Cowboys already defeated their respective opponents earlier this season. The Cowboys, though, 5-6 after losing to the Washington Redskins, 38-31. And it's now the Redskins, who are also 5-6, who host the New York Giants on Monday Night Football. And the Redskins nearly beat the Giants at MetLife Stadium. The Giants needed a fourth-quarter comeback in Week 7. So it could be 6-6-6 six, six, six teams. But I do say this. There will be a 7-5 team in the NFC as a sixth seed. There will be. And that's right, I'm saying either Seattle, Minnesota, or Tampa Bay will win on the road. If I had to go with a confidence factor, I'd probably be most confident in the Seattle Seahawks just because they've had victories in Chicago in recent seasons. Probably second on the list of Tampa Bay Buccaneers because I think they're playing the best offensive football, the three by and far, and then the team I'm least confident in, the Minnesota Packers. But one of those three teams will win. Third up on my six-pack of headlines in this, I, I hope to begin a new trend with this, at least here on the stat pack, and that's the LOLs of the week. Now, what I do throughout the Sundays is do a lot of social media with a group of friends. We like to talk football. We like to uh, make some funny comments and kind of laugh, not too seriously, but jokingly at some of the misfortunes of NFL teams. And, well, it made me think of the LOLs of Week 12. Number six on my six-pack of LOLs, the New Orleans Saints throwing two pick sixes, including a pick six to Ahmad Brooks with 22 seconds left in the first half, tying the game up at 14, turning the game around, and the Saints lose 31-21. Number five on my six-pack of LOLs, the Seattle Seahawks allowing 17 points to the Miami Dolphins and rookie quarterback Ryan Tannehill one game after the Dolphins could only score three at home against the Tennessee Titans. And those 17 points all came in the fourth quarter. The Seahawks lose a key game. And this includes an 82-yard touchdown drive, an 80-yard touchdown drive, and a 65-yard field goal drive. And, of course, sprinkled in the middle of this, what looked to be a back-breaking kick return for a touchdown by Leon Washington for the Seahawks. But they couldn't get the job done in Miami against a rookie quarterback with a top-tier pass defense. That is LOL worthy. Number four in my six-pack of LOLs, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Why are they only fourth 
when they have eight turnovers against the Cleveland Browns, well, they only lost by six points. So that's less of an LOL factor. It's only the second time the Pittsburgh Steelers lose to a rookie quarterback under Dick LeBeau as a defensive coordinator. But the Pittsburgh Steelers had eight fumbles, five of them lost by five different players, including all four running backs, Rashard Mendenhall, Jonathan Dwyer, Isaac Redmond, and Chris Rainey. Add in the three interceptions. It was a terrible day for the Pittsburgh Steelers when they could least afford it, given there's a sandwich of games against the Baltimore Ravens around that game in Cleveland. Number three on my LOLs of the week is the Detroit Lions for constantly blowing chances for a victory on Thanksgiving against the Houston Texans. Of course, the biggest LOL of this game, Jim Schwartz, the man who mocked Jim Harbaugh last year for not knowing the rules of challenging and then nearly getting in a fight with Jim Harbaugh when Harbaugh had a rough handshake. What does he do? He throws a red flag when he's not allowed to and costs his team a challenge that would have taken a touchdown off the board from the Houston Texans. L-O-L, Jim Schwartz. And on another factor, LOL worthy, it's the clown football that Ndamukong Sue is playing. I will say these two things. First off, I think Ndamukong Sue should have been suspended just for being a reckless clown. You know what? Even if he didn't do it on purpose, even if he's not getting all these driving violations on purpose, he is clearly being reckless and not holding accountability for himself, and it's making himself look bad, the league look bad, and the Detroit Lions looking bad. The second thing I will say, you know what? I think they should keep the rule if you throw a challenge flag when you're not supposed to that your challenge gets void. Because you know what? You should know the rules. Man up, learn the rules, and don't make the mistake. So if it was up to me, I would keep the rule just as a punishment and just a way to deter these coaches from not being accountable for what they should do. I mean, we're not holding them accountable enough for a poor clock management. We're not holding them accountable enough for being way too conservative on fourth down. Why not hold them accountable for challenging plays they shouldn't? Number two on my LOLs of the week, the New York Football Jets. All I need to say, Mark Sanchez causing a butt fumble, and the Jets allowed 21 points in 52 seconds. They allowed 35 points in the second quarter alone in a 49-19 loss to the New England Patriots. And number one, the biggest LOL of the week, the San Diego Chargers. Three words, all you need to know. Fourth and 29. Number four, uh, my six-pack of headlines. It doesn't really have to do with any stats, but we'll make one exception here on the stat pack, and that's the NFL with Mustache Movember. Please get rid of it. Aaron Rodgers, Mike McCarthy, Jay Cutler, Philip Rivers. All I encourage you to do is to go on to your favorite search engine, whether it's Google or Bing or Cold Hard Football Facts, whatever, search Aaron Rodgers Movember, Mike McCarthy Movember, Jay Cutler Movember, Philip Rivers Movember, and you will see some of the most hideous facial hair and quite honestly creepy facial hair of all time. I mean, it's bad enough if you have a fantasy football team named Mr. Rogers Neighborhood that's supposed to imply something family-friendly and you have Aaron Rodgers with the creepy mustache. It's bad enough to have that. I mean, let's let's 
get rid of it and not condone it. Although, I will say this, there is one person who participated in Mustache Movember who will get a round of applause, and that's Jason Kelsey. Even though he's not playing right now for the Eagles, go check out Jason Kelsey Movember, and you will see the most badass and most interesting mustache in the NFL. Okay, now back to business as we take a look at the fifth headline on our six-pack of headlines and statements, and that's the Houston Texans not being in the same trouble as other top contenders. Now, I did see an article on Football Nation that mentioned five reasons why the Houston Texans will not be contenders for the Super Bowl or, or something of that like. Do not be swayed by any of those comments. Do not be swayed by back-to-back overtime wins against losing teams. The Texans this year in 11 games, and their 10 wins, five of them have been by one possession. Three of them have been against losing teams, but they're not really in that much trouble when you compare them to the Atlanta Falcons who have seven one-possession wins of their ten, and five of them against losing teams. Meanwhile, the Baltimore Ravens have six one-possession wins, including four against losing teams. By the way, the Texans, in all likelihood, will probably play one more game against a losing team. That's the Tennessee Titans this Sunday, but unless the Texans start losing more games in close fashion, Let's not jump the gun by two games. They're still a team that is dominant. Really, the only concern I have for the Houston Texans is Arian Foster being on pace for 391 carries. But this is a team that can get the job done with its defensive hogs, its secondary, the running game, Matt Schaub. It doesn't really matter. The offensive hogs, you name it. They get it done, and as I mentioned in my top six, the Houston Texans still being number one, I will show you exactly why they're the most balanced team in the league, and that's why they're number one on my list. But don't be deterred by these back-to-back overtime wins. They did this playing 10 quarters in basically a 96-hour span. I think they deserve credit for those two wins, even if it's against Jacksonville and Detroit. This is a Texans team to me that is still the best contender in the AFC by far. Now, San Francisco, New England, Denver, Chicago, New York, Green Bay, they all have seven wins or more and two wins or fewer of one possession against losing teams, which is obviously more than the Texans, but still the Texans, I think, along with those teams, showing that they're serious contenders who can dominate the inferior competition, and that's exactly what you need to do when you want to build yourself up to be a top Super Bowl contender. So the Houston Texans, still A-OK in my book. And number six on my six-pack of headlines and statements from Week 12, it's the Cincinnati Bengals now finally showing that they are for real. Now, I remember a few weeks ago after the Bengals destroyed the Giants, 31-13, I said, don't buy yet into those Cincinnati Bengals. I needed to see more. There's still a chance for them to bounce back. And it could have been possible that that game against the New York Giants was a fluke. 
Well, I've given it some time. I've given it some thought. And yes, even though they played two weak teams in the AFC West, they destroyed those two teams, destroying the Kansas City Chiefs, destroying the Oakland Raiders. And again, that's what you need to do. You need to dominate the inferior competition. And that's exactly what the Bengals have done. Look at their last three weeks for a second here. They've moved up from 25th to 12th in the quality stats power rankings. They've outscored their opponents 93 to 29, which is averaging to around a 31 to 10 per game margin. They've forced seven turnovers while only giving away one turnover. Andy Dalton in the last three games, 55 completions and 89 attempts for 639 yards, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions. That's good for a passer rating just under 120. In fact, in all five games, he, or all three games, I should say, he's had a pass rating of 109 or better. You look at Geno Atkins. He's now moved himself into the race for Defensive Player of the Year. That's right, J.J. Watt, Von Miller, and Geno Atkins, your top three contenders for Defensive Player of the Year. And probably to round out the top five, you can throw in the likes of a Charles Peanut Tillman and I'd, I'd probably also throw in Tim Jennings as well. Those two corners for the Chicago Bears has been phenomenal. But anyway, Geno Atkins, nine sacks, three forced fumbles, and rushing the passer, unlike any defensive tackle I've seen as of late, really doing a fantastic job. He's a big reason and the biggest reason why the Bengals are 12th in the, the defensive hog index and 6th in negative pass play percentage. So the Bengals are now for real. And even in their weakest area, the offensive hog index, the Bengals doing a great job dominating the Raiders uh, last week in the ground game. They've moved up to 21st in the offensive hog index. Keep a lookout for those Cincinnati Bengals. Andy Dalton taking care of the football and that defensive line doing a great job. They're a team that can take things over as the top wildcard team in the AFC. Well, now let's move forward to a six-packer, a half of a six-pack of statistical regression from week 12. Now, I already did a bonus three-pack of regression from the Thanksgiving games last week. That was Matt Stafford in his first half passing touchdowns, the Houston Texans in their third down defense, and the Houston Texans and their rushing touchdowns allowed defensively. So I only gave you three more factors of regression so far from uh, week 12. And that is, first off, first and foremost, the Jacksonville Jaguars and their home performance. Through five games at home, they're outscored 153-44 to and went 0-5. That is an average of nearly 31 points allowed to nearly 9 points scored. In their first five games, they did not score more than 14, and they did not allow fewer than 27. But this past week, they defeated the Tennessee Titans 24-19 in a game that I predicted as an upset special, so I was very happy with the outcome. But there you go, some fine, simple regression that the fans in Jacksonville were very, very much approve of and appreciate the Jaguars can actually play competitive football at home. Meanwhile, we look now at the St. Louis Rams and their takeaways. 
The Rams, having only nine takeaways through 10 games, in fact, had no takeaways in their last five games heading into Sunday's game in Arizona. Well, what do the Rams do? Not only do they intercept Ryan Lindley four times, but they return two of those interceptions to the house, both by Janoris Jenkins. So some much-needed regression by the Rams playmakers on defense. It helped the Rams to get their first victory since week five against the Arizona Cardinals. So congratulations to the Rams finally getting a victory, 31-27 in Arizona. And oh, by the way, the Rams are now 3-0-1 against the NFC West, and Sunday they host the 49ers. The 49ers with a half-country trip, early start time to face the Rams. Might that be a trap game for the 49ers and Colin Kaepernick? I wonder. Keep a look at that. It's an upset alert. I'm picking the 49ers in that game, but keep down upset alert. I won't be surprised if the Rams get the victory. And finally... This, over the last three games, a little bit of statistical regression here, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers and their offensive passer rating. Remember halfway through the season when the Steelers were a top five team in offensive pass rating? It was in the hundreds, looking really good under Ben Roethlisberger, quarterback who's thrown four interceptions in 316 attempts. Well, enter Byron Leftwich. Enter Charlie Batch and enter what was a rough game against the Kansas City Chiefs in Week 10 when Roethlisberger was slow and got injured. The Steelers' pass rating has dropped more than 12 points in the last three weeks down to 88.72. And the pass rating in their last three games is a meager 54.35. In 87 attempts, Charlie Batch... Plus, Byron Leftwich has thrown four interceptions. It's not looking good right now for the Steelers, considering they face a Ravens team that has a top 10 defense and passer rating. So, not looking good right now for the Steelers moving forward. They need Ben Roethlisberger back, or there will be more statistical regression from their fantastic first half passing the football. Moving forward to our six-pack of top teams through 12 weeks in the season. We'll start things off with the Houston Texans, still the one on my list. I know the Denver Broncos moved to number one in the quality stats power rankings, and the Texans went down to third. But how about this for the Houston Texans? They rank in the top 10 in 12 of 13 quality stats in the power rankings, and the only one not in the top 10 Offensive passer rating, which is 11th, and to be honest, I think we'll move into the top 10 once they get done with the Tennessee Titans on Sunday. The Texans, third in defensive hog index, fifth in passer rating differential, fourth in the relativity index. They're a team that can get it done every which single way. And oh, by the way, they're three and one against quality teams. So the Texans still number one in my rankings. Number two, the New England Patriots, as they were number two last week after whopping and throttling and every other destructive verb you can get against the New York Jets by winning 49-19. to They are now fourth in the quality stats, power rankings, but look at what they're first in. Scoreability, 
real quarterback rating, the offensive hog index, the relativity index. They're a team that can get the job done any which way offensively. And defensively, they're getting some touchdowns right now. So until that regresses, the New England Patriots are still number two. Meanwhile, number three on my list, the team that in the last two weeks has defeated the Chicago Bears and the New Orleans Saints, that's the San Francisco 49ers. They're number two in the quality stats. Power rankings, tops in bendability, tops in defensive real passing yards per attempt. And oh yeah, in the top eight of 11 of 13 quality stats. How about that? For your San Francisco 49ers. Number fourth on my list, the Denver Broncos. Number one in the power rankings. Number one in real passing yards per attempt. Number one in the defensive hog index. Number three in pass rain differential. And in the top four in nine different categories. Really, when I look at it, the top four, you can kind of mash it up any which way you want. The Texans, the Patriots. The 49ers and the Broncos. Right now, statistically, those four teams are a cut above the rest. There's really no way to splice it, in my opinion. Those four got to be among the top. And, and really think about, wasn't it not too long ago that the NFC was dominating the top 12 in the quality stats power rankings and dominating the six-pack of my top teams you now have three of the top four teams, by and far, AFC teams. It's pretty crazy when you think about it, but there's really a lot less parity in the AFC, and that's a big reason why the Patriots and Broncos have dominated as of late. Meanwhile, number five on my six-pack is the Chicago Bears. They bounced back after two consecutive losses, destroying the Minnesota Vikings 28-10. to Yes, I know they're a meager... 10th in the quality stats power rankings. But remember, second in bendability, second in scoreability, number one in real, def- uh, real defensive quarterback rating, number one in defensive passer rating, and they're in the top five in every defensive quality stat category. I love the way their defense is playing. I still think they're a top threat for the Super Bowl and the NFC, so they get fifth on my list. And then sixth, is the Baltimore Ravens. I know they've been struggling to dominate the inferior teams, but they are 3-1 and one against quality opponents. They are 8th in the quality stats power rankings, 3rd in bendability, and 5th in defensive passer rating. And, oh, by the way, they have a chance to clinch the AFC North if they can beat the Steelers and the Bengals lose in San Diego. So... Odds are the Ravens won't clinch because the Chargers can't win, but who knows? Maybe it happens. So you have to put the Ravens, in my opinion, in the top six. And that concludes my six-pack of top teams. Last but not least, we look at a six-pack of quality matchups for Week 13, and I think this will be a splendid week now. Unfortunately, I will be on the road in Erie, Pennsylvania, and then traveling back to the Lehigh Valley, during most of these events. So I will have to do uh, some good old rewind and uh, check out the uh, the film package I bought on NFL.com. But anywho, we'll start things off. Number six in the quality matchups, Minnesota at Green Bay. 
Minnesota, yes, they still have a chance to surpass the Green Bay Packers. I know they're falling and falling and falling in the quality stats power rankings down into the 20s. But if they get a victory in Green Bay, they will have a chance to surpass the Packers. And the NFC North, the Packers getting throttled by the Giants last Sunday, 38-10. If they lose to the Vikings, they'll drop to 7-5. and The Vikings will move ahead and have the tiebreaker in the... NFC North, I know the matchups completely favor the Packers. They're dominating. They're passing offense, number one in offensive passer rating. Aaron Rodgers should get the job done, but who knows? Maybe the Vikings pull off the upset. So for that reason alone, they make my six-pack. Meanwhile, number five, we have the New Orleans Saints against the Atlanta Falcons in a Thursday night matchup. Think about this. Two good passing offenses. The Saints, fifth in real quarterback rating, sixth in offensive passer rating. The Falcons are seventh in both of those categories. Should be a very interesting game. Drew Brees against Matt Ryan. And yeah, that matchup back in the first time these two teams played did reach my six-pack of intriguing matchups. So again, that matchup reaches it. But think about this, the Saints winning the first game at home against Atlanta in thrilling fashion late in the fourth quarter. The Saints are 11-2 since Sean Payton was hired. Yes, 10-2 under Sean Payton, 1-0 under Joe Vip. But regardless, the Saints have won 11 of the last 13 matchups against the Falcons. Moving forward now, we are counting down. Number four, Giants at Redskins. A thrilling Monday night matchup. And all of a sudden, the Redskins are back in it. They're in the top 12 in the quality stats power rankings. But RG3 in his last two games, 34 of 43 for 511 yards, 8 touchdowns and an interception, and a passer rating of 146.08. The Redskins, second in real quarterback rating, fifth in offensive pass rating, and offensive pass rating this year has been the best predictive quality stat and pretty much the best predictive stat you can get right now. The Redskins have that advantage. They're at home on Monday Night Football, and they have a chance to be perhaps one game within the Giants in the NFC East and perhaps in a tie for that final wild card spot. That should bring up the crowd in Anover. Meanwhile... We move over to number three in another divisional matchup between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens. I know, no Ben Roethlisberger again, but I don't think that rivalry has lost much of its luster. A thrilling game, 13-10 in Pittsburgh. These two teams rematch just two weeks later. To me, it's still the best rivalry in the league by and far, so it has to be in the top three. Meanwhile, we move to number two. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Denver Broncos. How about the recent tear for not just Peyton Manning, but Josh Freeman? In his last six games, he's gone interception uh, interception free five times. He had five consecutive games of a pass rating of 104 or better before two weeks ago against Carolina. He threw two interceptions. But how about this? In the last seven games since October, Freeman has a passer rating of 104.09. It's a big reason 
why the Buccaneers have been playing some fantastic football as of late and are 5-2 and two in their last seven games. And despite that, in the struggles of Joshua Freeman being consistent in completing passes, he's not even up to 60% in his completion percentage. The Buccaneers are second in real passing yards per attempt. Bottom line, Josh Freeman's getting the ball down the field, and that will be a danger against the Broncos. Meanwhile, obviously, you have a great defensive hog index for the Denver Broncos, number one in the league, and Peyton Manning, who's playing some elite football. This has all the makings of a barn burner and could be a high-scoring game. And finally, the top matchup in my six-pack, the Seattle Seahawks at the Chicago Bears. Put the Bears on upset alert. This, my friends, will be the best defensive matchup I think you see all season. It's going to be a throwback game. Teams are going to get roughed up. It's going to be that classic old slugfest with big hits, big plays defensively, and quarterbacks running for their lives. That, my friends, is some nice old-school football that is going to be played at one of the oldest stadiums in the league, Soldier Field, that I cannot wait for, and I unfortunately will have to watch on Rewind. But regardless, you look at it, I mentioned the Chicago Bears were in the top five in every defensive quality stat. The Seahawks are in the top five in every quality stat defensively, except the defensive hog index because of their bad run defense. But regardless, defensive throwback game, Seahawks at Bears should be fantastic. But that will conclude my edition of the Stat Pack. Until next week, enjoy your football, everybody.